And welcome to Odyssey Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell, joined as always by Randall Carlisle. You got my name right. And yes, this is two shows in a row. He called me Randall Cunningham once, and it's oh, nice. like, you know, I guess that's sort of a compliment, it maybe. Is. Yeah, I mean, he do six I look four, like a great athlete, star quarterback? Yeah, you know, yeah. the greatest wow. hurdle job of all time. Isn't that funny about men? We can remember an individual play from 18 years ago in the NFL, but can't remember our fiance's birthday or our anniversary. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we have interesting minds. Well, tell us about our guest this week. I think Neil got... Tate. He's one of our Odyssey fixtures for years and years and years. You're called what, what's your title? Clinical coordinator. Yes. Which means what? Um, I'm over our clinical staff. Um, I supervise our uh, case managers and clinic. Uh, um, Certified peer support specialists um, over uh, the programming, uh, do a lot of trainings, and uh, I attend a lot of meetings. I, I go to a lot of uh, uh, drug court meetings, um, probation meetings, and so forth, and uh, kind of a liaison between uh, our customers, the payees, and uh, and our program. So that's kind how of many in thirteen facilities Odyssey House has in. Salt Lake area. Mm -hmm. How many people are at this date going through the Odyssey program? I heard at our last clinical meeting that we served over two thousand people last year. Wow! Yeah, it's uh, and so the you're largest in, in the state. Yeah, you're so. in charge of, of the people underneath that are having the direct daily and hourly interaction with your clients. Yes, that's a big job. It is. It's a very uh, it's a very stressful job, but a very meaningful job also. So you trained for it the way a lot of clinical psychologists do. You were a truck driver. Yes. So, <laughs> Good background, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. So tell yeah. your story. How That's you, the prerequisite, I think. <laughs> yeah. sure. You know, a lot of, you went to the Harvard of trucking companies. <laughs> yes, I did. So tell your story, will you please? Um, my dad was a truck driver, and I always wanted to be like dad. I looked up to him, and, and uh, he sent me off to college. Uh, because he didn't want me to be a truck driver. <laughs> and through some, um, just some things, some fate, I think I ended up uh, becoming a truck driver and, and uh, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the profession uh, up to a point. Um, I was just mostly a local driver at that point, um, home every night, and then uh, got into the over-the-road uh, business. And that's kind of when things started uh, going south. Um, my relationships. It was hard to be a. It was hard to be an over-the-road driver and continue having a family. And in the case of going over the road, I ran into what we used to call uh, uh, Benny, the, the little helper. Uh, back in those days, it was Benny's. So those were basically amphetamines. Right. It was a pharmaceutical amphetamine, and then uh, I dabbled with cocaine a little bit and uh, found methamphetamine as the answer to all of my problems. I could get to point A to point B and feel good about myself and not put anybody in danger. That was the big thinking error. In <laughs> essence, you were, however. Yes. Um, Tell me about meth. How, how does one consume it? How, As an over-the-road truck driver, how... Um, several ways. I mean, uh, ingesting it, just, just eating it, um, uh, snorting it, uh, or smoking it, which is what I did. Actually, smoking is the, the quickest way. Uh, to get it to your brain, uh, even quicker than injecting, and I, I never injected. That was another one of my thinking errors. Well, I'm really not a junkie because I'm not shooting, right? And I believe that. I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink beer, right? right. Yeah, 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 sure. 
And I was a functioning addict for about 13 years. Well, okay. So for our audience, functioning addict mm. sounds like the biggest oxymoron in the world. And it is, but when you're in the grips of it, it doesn't seem that way. Folks wondered if I was high when I wasn't using. <laughs> they were so used to me being high that um, that was my normal state. And when I wasn't using, uh, people thought that there was something wrong with me. And uh, I, I had, some, had some unfortunate circumstances. I, uh, my, uh, my, grand, my grandmother died. Um, I ended up uh, getting a big fight over meth with my wife. Um, I left the house the same day my grandmother died, and then a few months later, my father was diagnosed with a um, brain tumor, and they gave him six weeks to live, and he, he, he died in five. And that was really the beginning of my out of control, and uh, it just spiraled. Do you think that if these events didn't happen, you could have continued being a functioning drug addict for many more years? I hope not. Um, <laughs> that was a long... Uh, long, lonely lifestyle. Um, I didn't go home for Christmases for probably seven years, eight years maybe. I was too embarrassed. Um, it was a lot easier for me to make sure that I was dispatched out of town and I would call Christmas morning and say, I'm in St. Paul or I'm in Denver, I'm in Los <laughs> Angeles. Hope you guys have a Merry Christmas and I'll see you soon. That that was... Did your paychecks go home? Uh, no. No, my... my my child support went home. That was automatically dropped. But all my paychecks went pretty much to, to buying meth. And then one of the charges that I got, too, was when my mom was um, on vacation in China. I uh, walked into her house and, and took 14 checks, made them out to myself for $100 a piece, and went down to the local credit union and cashed them. And uh, that's, that, was the, that was the end of, of my... Um, life as I knew it, because as soon as the credit union found out, my mom was notified. Uh, my thoughts were that she was not going to lose any money because it's a federally insured institution, right? <laughs> but she ended up having to press charges uh, to get her money back. And uh, fortunately, her home teacher was the police was one of the police officers, and uh, talked her and my brothers and sister talked her into uh, going down and pressing charges, and that was. Probably the hardest thing my mother has ever had to do. Um, we've had conversations about that, and it's just a tragic story to listen to. But that was also probably the thing that saved my life. Um, and that's a reoccurring theme that when you're hitting your low point, to have the people responsible for you continue to coddle you and sure. do that is not the answer. Well, and my mom and my family had gone through that same process. You hear it all the time. Um, they would bail me out of jail, they would give me money, they would do all of those things because they thought they were helping me. And the, re and the reality was is that who can you manipulate most? It's the people that love you, right? And if I would have tried to manipulate my friends at that time, they would have said, you know, get lost. <laughs> we're not going to put up with this. But because they're my family, they think that they're doing the right thing when in reality families really don't know the vocabulary of addiction. They, you know, can't you see that this is ruining your life? No, I can't, Mom. If you love me, you would stop using. I love you, Mom. I still can't stop using. They just they don't understand that. So they're doing what they think is the best thing to do, and the reality of it is it just keeps enabling the addict to, to get further and further into their addiction until finally 
the tough love comes along and, and finally enough is enough and I'm not going to do this any longer. And I remember uh, getting arrested on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, probably it was the Raiders and the Tampa Bay. It was Tampa Bay. It was the Battle of the Bays, and it was that Sunday that I got stopped in a port of entry in St. George, about two o'clock in the morning, and uh, do, doing a, a basic records check, and found out that I had all these um, charges, and that's when I went to jail. And my mother had pressed charges, and I remember the first night going into jail, calling her. And uh, she picked up the phone and heard it was me and hung up the phone. Wow. And that was her setting the boundary. I called her several other times and she would pick the phone up and hang the phone up, letting me know that we're no longer <clears throat> doing this. Um, How did that make you feel at that time? Oh. <laughs> were you angry? I was very angry. Or? I was very angry. Uh, I was so, I, I was, it was just appalled that that they would do that to me. I remember, in fact, I remember uh, leaving a message and you don't know what you've done to me, mom. <laughs> Here I stole 14 checks, $1,400 I've been using for years and they've known it. And I'm saying that you don't know what you've done to me, right? And uh, that that stuck in my brain for, for quite a few years um, after uh, doing some, some, some time in St. George and them getting all the charges that I had accumulated from being a truck driver over the years. They all come filing in, and before long, I found myself in prison. How and, long were you in prison for? Um, all total, I was probably incarcerated between St. George, Tooele, Draper, <laughs> Idaho Falls, uh, about two years. And uh, but you spread it out. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I made sure that I did you I saw the country. Yeah. yeah. Did you write a book about your favorite prisons? <laughs> you know, my my mother has always said that I need to write a book. But actually, St. George the Purgatory Correctional Facility was was probably top of the line. They were, yeah. They we'll were remember that. <laughs> and the farther north I got, the worse it got. Right. So. And it, it <laughs> when you all of a sudden got in prison, you had to be without drugs for the first time in your life. Mm -hmm. How tough was that? Um, you know, it it's crazy. The reality of it was is that I, I became a trustee. I was very, very fortunate. Never won a thing in my life. There was a guy that got caught with heroin. He got sent to Max, and they sent out a box. You put your name in, and they picked my name out of the box, and I became trustee. And it wasn't very long before I was in prison selling coffee, just like I was selling meth, uh, because I had access to the cafeteria, and I, I got the, the kitchen gloves, and I would uh, get a bunch of envelopes together, which is money in prison, 50 cent stamp and I would wrap them all up in a big in a big ball and rubber band them and then I would go out on wreck and I would throw them over the fence uh, to the ochre facility and then one of the guys would throw me a bag of taster choice while I was out on the track and I would come in and I would divvy it all up and, and cut the fingers off the gloves and put it in and tie them up and, and it even dawned to me back then that you are a sick individual you are now doing, ex you're, you're selling coffee like you were selling meth. This is absolutely crazy. I knew that before I knew, I, I thought of that before I knew anything, before I realized what was going on. I thought how stupid this was because I could, the consequences for that were, I, I would lose my private cell. I would lose all the privileges that I have and I would end up being back in general population with, with the, the, the normal prisoners, which is someplace you don't really want to be. And so I even realized it back then. So 
Yeah, I, yeah. So the, the behavior was still there, even so, though the drugs weren't there. The behavior was still there. So when you got out, how did you get into the position where you are now, where you're helping thousands of people a year get better? Fortunately, I had a lot of I had a lot of things fall my way. I'm very very lucky. Uh, I had some people in my corner that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Um, I was actually uh, referred to the Odyssey House program out of prison. And uh, Christine Freeman, the, the director of our, in, our uh, intake program, uh, she was the one that actually approved me to come into Odyssey. Wow. And I had all of that paperwork with me. Uh, my, my caseworker at Draper uh, got me to change my address from being in Tooele, Utah, to Salt Lake City, so I gave Salt Lake City funding, Salt Lake County funding. And uh, I had all this paperwork with me and was ready to go, but um, I got released from prison and extradited up to Idaho. And I had to go to Idaho for those charges. And uh, long story short, it, it came down to they were going to send me to prison in Idaho or they were going to let me come to Odyssey House. And the judge up there basically told me, and this is word for word, it's etched in my brain. There are some <laughs> things I remember very well. He said, Mr. Tate, the next time we see each other, the conversation is going to go one of two ways. It's going to go, congratulations on graduating the Odyssey House program. I wish you and your family the best of luck. Or it's going to go, Mr. Tate, I'm going to sentence you to the maximum amount of time that the law of the state of Idaho allows me to, which will be seven years in prison in Moscow, Idaho. Do I make myself clear? Pretty that's clear. a word-for-word -word quote. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's clear. I, I get it, right? And fortunately... Did you get a chance uh, to go back and see, Did you go back and see that? Too? I did. I did actually. Um, I got those charges. Uh, got those charges dropped uh, years and years later uh, because I did complete the program and and becoming who I am becoming and and uh, uh, was able to go and uh, say thank you. So. That probably was one of the most meaningful thank yous of your life. That was that yeah, was awesome. Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, the people up there in Idaho um, relented. I showed them all my paperwork, and they sent me to Odyssey House. And it took me five months to get into Odyssey House. So this is now 2000, the spring of 2004, I believe. And I was in Odyssey House for 17 months. Um, while there, they asked me if I would be interested in working there, which is another reason I really wanted to go to Odyssey House when I was in prison. I heard that they, they would ask they could you could work there. And uh, I said, yeah, I would like to work here. And uh, between uh, vocational training or vocational rehabilitation, um, I was able to go to the University of Utah. Uh, even before I got out of treatment, I started at the University of Utah and I got my uh, licensed substance abuse counselor a certificate. I was there for a year. It took me three years to get the certificate. And um, I was off to the races. Um, and that's how I got started. And you're, we've talked about this on Odyssey House Journals before, that uh, someone out of Harvard, PhD in psychology, is not going to have one-tenth the ability to relate to people that you do because you've been there. I use that experience. Uh, I, I do use that. I pull that card uh, that I can relate to folks. That being said, I'll, I'll tell you the best therapist that I ever had in my life uh, names Mr. Brad Maservi. Um, never had a minute of addiction, never had a minute of substance abuse. Uh, but this guy genuinely cared about me. He listened to me and he wasn't afraid 
to tell me the truth. And so um, I, I, I look at it as um, the doctor that delivered me was a male. The same doctor that delivered me delivered my daughter years and years and years later. And of course, he's never delivered a baby in his life. Uh, so <laughs> I get the connection because I've been there and I can relate and I can understand. And I do use that to my advantage and to help clients um, move forward. Uh, but I, I can't take away from folks that spend their entire life wanting to help people, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars getting master's degrees, being trained to do this, to go help people. I, I will not take anything away from them for, for that. And we have a lot of folks that do that, and they genuinely care. So and you It ever, takes a combination between sure. those people who do all those years of school and people who have learned through the School of Hard Knocks, uh, and it works. That's why it's a therapeutic community, so you have... Yes, all that both. working together. We have both. You know. Do you have, have a PhD of the street? Um, I, I would, I would <laughs> yeah. think so. I would think so. Uh, Thirteen years of, of using meth, and uh, in that in that lifestyle, um, I I learned a lot of things about me, and a lot of those things aren't I'm not proud of. Um, so, but so, uh, but the thing the thing I've noticed about you and some of the clients that you deal with is uh, addicts and alcoholics are, are some of the best liars in the world. And, and somebody like Neil can spot that in a, in a heartbeat. And, and you know, I, I've seen him. He'll, he'll, he'll hear stories from people and he'll say, that's BS. Well, that's the, and that's also the advantage of the therapeutic community is that yeah. I'm in a group. And I, let's say I'm a client of Odyssey House and I'm in a group with, with 12 other addicts. And they're the best liars in the world. And who's able to spot that? And that's, that's the difference in the therapeutic community is that the, the clients will say, no, that's, that's, not, that's not truthful. And I know it's not truthful because it doesn't make sense to me. And so that is, becomes more powerful to have our peers say that, look, we know you're not being honest and we really care about you, so you know, this is your chance, right, to earn some respect and, and, and be honest. And I think our slogan is um, we, we see ourselves best in the eye of our brother as long as our brother is open and honest about what he sees. And uh, that's kind of the foundation of Odyssey House. You've been here now a lot of years. Yeah, 13. 13. So you were out 13, and you've been helping people for 13. I, I, would, I would hope that I've been helping people, yeah. yeah so sure. that's pretty amazing. So you, you know, 26 years of your life. Yeah, for sure. The last 13, talk a little bit about the changes and, and are there mileposts that you go through where you go, darn, I'm proud of myself. Um, this has worked out pretty amazing. You know, I think one of the, one of the, one of the prouder moments of my life was, was obtaining a master's degree. Um, I learned so much about, um, mental health in the three years that I was in graduate school. Um, that I would have never ever have learned even being the school of hard knocks and being a, an addiction counselor. Um, I just felt like um, I, if I was going to be more effective and more valuable to my clients that I needed to understand the, the field of mental health. And uh, myself and a couple of my, my co-workers were fortunate enough to go to school together. And that was a proud moment for all of us, I think, was, was obtaining that bachelor's degree and thinking back that here here I was not very long ago 
uh, in prison and there was no future and uh, my life was completely in shambles to the point where I was walking across an aisle getting a master's degree. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of folks to thank because that I can't do, I could never do that on my own. First of all, my wife, she had to buy into that because there was many, 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 for years, there was weekends where I was stuck in her office doing homework and I was gone to school at night and I was working at night and she had to, she had to, she had a big sacrifice for me to do that and supported me throughout. Odyssey House supported me with tuition reimbursement. They were behind me all the way. Um, I, I just got so much support that I, I felt like I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't give it a shot. Do you think that you have some education being a professor maybe in your future trying to get back to? You know, I thought about a, I thought about a PhD and I thought really, really serious about a PhD. Um, at this point, I don't think that's part of my future. Um, yeah, school takes a lot out of you. It, it does. It's a, it's a great sacrifice, and I'm not sure that I would, I would want to ask my wife and family to, to sacrifice another that many years, uh, because I'm pretty I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at right now. I feel like I'm probably doing the best that I can do as far as relating to clients and, and helping clients. I'm not sure that. Uh, and don't I know PhD and she's the smartest gal in the world and I love her to death um, and she supervises me today uh, Misty um, but she's more uh, that position is more on the, the, the research side and the statistical side and, and there's not a lot of uh, dealing with with clients so and I um, know he takes a lot of pride in that and you know you were talking about proud moments uh, the last graduation I was at because we do have graduation ceremonies and mm -hmm. And the, 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 I think I covered the one before this last one, and we had 20-some people. Yeah. And Neil spoke, at the, Neil spoke at the graduation ceremony and gave a really stirring speech. And the, really thing, the thing I could see about you is because by the time somebody graduates in the Odyssey program, you get to know them really well. Yeah. And he's talking about these people, and there, and there was high emotion. In, and maybe you could describe that, because I, I could tell it just meant so much to you to see these people finally, you know, through a lot of ups and downs and ups and downs, and, and for a long period of time to see them graduating. There, there's nothing more gratifying than watching someone come into treatment that's a total shell of themselves. They even look different when they come into treatment. And... I'm a human being. I, I get to know these folks. I get to know their struggles. I get to know um, some of their families and what they're going through and get to watch them uh, one foot after another and never give up and never give up. And, and to, see these, to see these folks on stage with their families and their families saying, thank you for giving us our son or daughter back. And the son or daughter or father or grandparent, whatever, Thank you for giving us this person back. They're so different today, and and there's a, there's a deep sense of honor that I was able to, to witness their growth and witness and participate in that. And uh, yeah, it's one of the things that keeps me here, keeps me doing what I'm doing. It's uh, it, it can be very emotional, very impactful, very powerful to to see someone. That's who we are, right? That's who we are. We like to see the underdogs win. We like to see people come from behind. Uh, folks that don't have a chance and they dig themselves out of this tremendous hole and become successful. And there's nothing more gratifying than watching someone take their life back. 
So if you're a, a parent, loved one watching this show, what would be some of the best advice you could give them if their loved ones are, are going through a tough time? I see this a lot uh, with my friends, with some of my friends from clear back in high school. They've got, they've got um, their children, grandchildren that are suffering from addiction. And the worst thing that you can do is enable their addiction. Uh, the best thing to do is to get them some help. And there's all kinds of avenues and all kinds of ways to just, just make that phone call. Make that phone call. Because today we're dealing with opioids. We're dealing with, with, with life or death. And it's, it's not a joke anymore. And uh, I, th I think the old adage that if, you're, if, if, you're, if your loved one who's addicted um, isn't mad at you, you're probably not doing the right thing. Uh, if your if your person that, if the person that you loved love is a, is an is an addict, and they they are with you and they, they love you, you're you're enabling. You're not doing what you need. You're to coddling. Do you're not to save to save that individual. And and my mother, I bless her heart, and I've told her this uh, the day that she she called and went down to the police station to press charges uh, on me was saved your life. Was the day that she saved my life, and it took me years. To finally realize that, and so you um, were angry for a long time. Oh my gosh! Her. Oh my gosh! It was that was terrible, terrible. You you talked to her when you finally did realize she was doing a good thing. Did she talk about her feelings at the time she did oh, that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Because that must have been really difficult. It was very emotional. Um, it was hard to listen to. It was definitely really really hard to listen to. Um, that being said, my mother is one of the strongest individuals that I've I've seen, and 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 through the advice of my brothers and sister and uh, everyone, uh, she was able to go down there and do that, and it was just devastating for her that she was signing a complaint and, and hanging charges. up the phone three times yeah. uh, uh, with her oldest son. Yeah, and the, and the guilt that she felt like, what did I do wrong? What did we do wrong? Why is why is Neil doing this? I mean. <laughs> You know, I was a I was a, a an honor roll student. I was active in all kinds of sports. I was active in the LDS Church. I was married in the temple. Um, I was one of these guys that you would never ever suspect would would take the turn that I took. Yet here I am. You know, addiction doesn't discriminate. It it doesn't matter who you are, or where you're from, what what God you believe in or don't believe in, what side of the street you you come from, what your education is. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, what your culture is. Addiction does not discriminate, and I've—I've—that's—that's that's a true story. Uh, that's that's one of the the truth, truths that uh, we look at when we're when we're looking at the folks that we have in, in treatment. Sure. So, Neil, we're putting the Odyssey House number up on the screen. Mm -hmm. If someone wants to call, we've got Odyssey House people <coughs> that will answer that call and give good advice. Yes. And, and this is not in any way, shape, or form an endorsement to go to Odyssey House. As a matter of fact, Odyssey House has a waiting list. Mm -hmm. But it's, Odyssey House... It's an endorsement of recovery. And I think know, that's it, the it, point it of this. Yeah. It's an you endorsement. It, it, to me, and I and I, I work at other facilities also. Um, I, I do some, some contract work for other facilities. And, and, and it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the treatment facility is. As long as you're ready for treatment, you're going to succeed. And, and uh, just as long as you get treatment, as long as you start that road, that journey of recovery, 
that's what really matters. It doesn't matter who, who gives it to you or, or who you get it from. As the messages are pretty much, they're pretty similar. I mean, we do some things that, that other folks don't do that I think kind of puts us a, a, a head above the other facilities that, that are here in the, in the, in the state. Um, that being said, you know, if, if you, it doesn't matter if you go off to whatever facility you come out and you're recovered and you can be a card carrying member of society and you're raising your kids and paying your bills and, and doing that, that congratulations. That's what really matters. But you have to be ready. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, but there are very, very few times that Neil and Randall, that you can make a life changing phone call. We make thousands of phone calls every month. And none of them matter. But if you pick up the phone and call and get someone who's going to help you out with either yourself or your child, spouse, whomever, that's a pretty important phone call. Well, yeah. you know why? Because you're admitting that's the first, you're finally admitting there's a problem. Because why would you make the phone call? I mean, for years, I, I mean, I went through four wives and they all said, you're an alcoholic. And I said, no, no, I just drink a lot. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and finally, until I got to my point that I had to say, uncle, and yeah, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. But that's the first step for any, for anybody facing an issue like that. Because uh, if, you, if, you if, if I went into a program and said, I don't need help, I don't want to go to a program, you know, it would make any difference. Yeah. So, well, Neil, you have been a tremendous guest. Thank you Thank so you. much for telling your story and your service to the addicts and, and people out there. It sounds like you have, you haven't worked in 13 years because you love what you do. <laughs> it works. I think it works. That's, that's the thing. And it the works. Pe the people, he's strict, but the people love him in our program, uh, both his coworkers and and the clients, once they, once they get over their initial anger being there, they love the guy. Yeah. So. Well, that's great. Randall, as always, thank you so much. We appreciate You're it. Welcome. And again, there's a number on the screen. Make that call. Talk to some people who can help you out. And again, making that call is the first step. For Randall Carlisle, I'm Tripp Mitchell saying thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.